Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doing the Thing podcast. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by my friend, my co-host, Jason. How you doing, Jason? Pretty good, man. How are you? I am good. Although, uh, I was telling Jason before we started recording, the good news is I went snorkeling in La Jolla, and that was fantastic, and saw schools of fish and everything else. The bad news is I got hit by a wave, and my wedding ring slipped off and fell somewhere to the bottom of the ocean. Man. That sucks. You have to go magnet fishing or something, man. I don't know. You know, we're we'll just fine with that, though. We're hoping maybe the tide just washes it up on shore, and somebody who happens to know me happens to be walking by and say, "Oh, I remember Phil lost his ring." Yeah, totally. That's totally going <laughs> in La Jolla Beach, the you know one of the biggest, busiest beaches in Southern California, right? <laughs> I think the odds are in my favor. They are. They totally are. <laughs> Thanks for that. I'll keep you posted. Yeah. Um, you know, last week we were talking about the what they're calling the Great Awakening in the job force. And this is about people, uh, actually Monster.com study that said 95% of all employed workers are considering a change. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to take steps towards it. Um, but one of the things ancillary to that is we started talking about the over 50-year-old job market prospects. And I want to say this, we're going to share some information with all of you today. And this is not a horror movie where we're going to try to convince you that there's a big, scary, hairy monster in your closet waiting to jump out and devour you. That's not this at all. This is not meant to be scary, but this is meant to be factual. Um, we've done a research on both ends and really have identified some things that, look, whether you're 50 plus now and employed or not, you're going to be one day. Um, and it's stuff that you should plan for. Sorry. I got Is that Dr. Hachi? That's Dr. Hachi. <laughs> Hi, Hachi. Yeah, he's got to get under my desk again. <laughs> Hi, buddy. Um, so, you know, starting with this, and this one really um, caught me by surprise. 29% of all households run by someone 50 years or older have no retirement, no pension. Wow. Yeah. What's that percentage again? 29%. That's huge. That's, that's a third of the population. That's, yeah. that's very surprising, actually. Yeah. And so what it implies is they're probably in a living paycheck to paycheck situation, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's why we want to talk about this, because whether you're in that situation or not, and if you're not, good on you. Um, but statistics also talk about... Um, the employment potential for someone in their 50s. And uh, research would say, and ProPublica has an excellent article, we'll post it in the, um, uh, sure the show notes, yeah. right? Um, about the likelihood of being laid off after 50. Mm -hmm. And it's somewhere in the order of one to three times. Um, the likelihood is like, what, 75% that at least once you'll be laid off. And the likelihood goes down a little bit for multiple times, but it still exists. Um, yeah. And that's that age and wage discrimination. Yeah. And, and there are actual rules out there for it. Um, what is the organization again, that, that kind of, um, um, uh, let's see, well, it's not AARP. It's the, um, not to get back to you on the organization, but we just read it. And there's actually an organization that governs um, ageism in the workplace and they actually um, investigate it. It's the ADEA. Um, 
don't ask me what 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 that acronym is for. Um, age dis- Age Discrimination and Employment Act of 1967, which is part of a, a Supreme Supreme Court ruling in 2009, that actually investigates that. But guess what? If you're in a company or a corporation that's under 20 employees, that's that's not going to happen. They're, they're, they do not fall under that category. So any employer that's 20 employees and above, they do. But it still doesn't stop it from happening. Um, still, There's still comments in the workplace about somebody being older. Um, I'm probably guilty of that when I was in the Army, when I <laughs> had some older soldiers in there with me. But fun and games aside, it's wrong. It's wrong because it actually creates this really negative perception in the workplace. You know, yeah. you could be 70 years old and, and could have been kick-ass at your job and marketing and, and doing whatever else and actually made companies millions and millions of dollars. But just because you can't make it past the algorithm because of the number next to your age, um, it should not be that kind of a problem. You should actually want to have that person on there. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, reading the uh, ProPublica article, it shared a story of a guy named Tom Steckel. And Tom, apparently, he was laid off after 50 years old. He was laid off a total of three times. He was unemployed. Um, The longest stretch was eight months during those. And, you know, as we all know, we plan for retirement. But then when these surprises occur, we start eating away at those reserves that we have in place, right? Mm -hmm. And that was the case for him. He ended up taking a job um, at 62 years old that was 40% less in terms of wage than he was earning. And get this, he's gone three out of four weeks every month. The job is 11 hours away, so he doesn't see his family. And, you know, maybe that's an exceptional outlier, but maybe it's not, right? No. I don't think, I don't think it is an outlier. I think it's more, it's coming, it's happening more frequently than you think because, like in the course of my my week um, doing coaching and, and, and finding these people that are in career transition, most of them are in either their, their mid 40s or early 50s, and, and they're kind of going through something very similar. They'll they'll tell me about, hey, I used to make 250,000 a year, you know, used to crush it at my job. I was the, you know, the white collar guy, the, you know, the executive, and and now I got laid off. And over the course of the last four or five years, I can't find a job that, that even gets me above 75 K. And, and, and that's, you know, people don't expect, they don't plan for their life to be like that. You know, when you get a little bit older, and it's really unfortunate that that happens um, because as a new employee, it's, you know, I can see it from an employer perspective too, as a new employee, bringing this person in that commanded a $250,000 salary, that's, <laughs> and you don't know him very well. That's a that's a big pill to swallow. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Well, ProPublica, um, I guess they conducted a study, and I want to say it was a decade plus long. Um, and they studied twenty thousand people and what happened to them across the course of their career when they passed the fifty mark. Um, their projections say that of the forty million people who are going to who are going to pass the age of fifty, twenty two million of them will be laid off and only 2 million of them will financially recover. Wow. Gulp. <laughs> that's, that's, um, so it's, it's basically saying you're doomed to fail. Is that what it's saying? If, you know, if you're one of those people, one of those 22 million, the odds are very, very high that it's going to financially devastate you. 
So what the hell do we do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I'll, you know, let's talk about some things you can do. And first I'll share my story, right? I was um, 12 years as a senior VP in music publishing. Now I did not get laid off full disclosure, but I realized that there were just shifts and changes in that industry one. And then two, I was recently remarried and the travel that, you know, I was doing as a single guy was amazing to Brazil and Argentina and, you know, all kinds of cool places, but as a newly married man, it probably wouldn't be as good, right? Um, I hit the job market at 55 and was really surprised at how few opportunities I could find. Mm -hmm. And as I started to dig further and realized what it was, um, in most cases, HR directors aren't even looking at resumes. It's running through an algorithm, right? And that algorithm has a way to detect age. Uh, based on what you list on your resume. Yep. And after 50, I, you know, I wasn't getting near the volume of calls that I got as a younger guy. Um, and I attribute it directly to that, right? So um, for those of you listening who maybe are in a career search, if you're not seeing the traction, certainly that could be one affecting reason. But yeah, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah. Well, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> um. I did discovery. That's what I did. And what do I mean by discovery? That is to say, when I was considering a career change, I started putting my feelers out first to everyone I knew, and then to prospective employers. And that was one set of my discoveries just to see what's available on the job market. I weighed heavily starting a second company. I'd started one of my own in the past and I thought about that and I weighed my reserves and, you know, wondered what I could do in the world and ended up lining up with consulting and a few other things and started to go down that path of investigation. And the third thing I did is I started working with a coach from the Entrepreneur Source, the organization we're both with. And as part of that three-legged stool of discovery, I started looking into turnkey business models and, you know, could I leverage my experiences into a new market where there's a methodology and a marketing strategy and technologies behind it? And could I be successful and also not um, have to do all that travel and not be relying on the job market, which was lukewarm at the time I started looking. Sure. And, you know, we're not here to advocate which one is right for you. We don't, as listeners, we, we don't know your story, but you do. Um, but what is important is when you get to that 50-year-old mark, even before, but especially when, you need to keep your possibilities open. You need to expand um, the horizon of things you could potentially do. Now, could it be starting a second revenue stream business? Sure, it could. Could yep. it be stepping off into something of your own? Sure, it could. Could it be networking with other prospective employers? Sure, it could. But I advocate as I did doing all three and yeah. continuing to do all three and committing some time to doing all three because we never know where the next turn comes from. So that's the start of my advice. Yeah, definitely. And, and there's, there's a lot of actual um, studies and, and interesting evidence on, um, you know, people fit between ages of 55 and 64 starting their own business. And I think, <clears throat> I think you threw out that statistic last week, um, what, like one in three mm -hmm. uh, people start at that age in that, in that area, in that bracket, start their own businesses. And 
it, it makes sense. It, it makes a lot of sense because like psychologically you're, you're kind of beaten down a little bit, um, which I'm sure is something that you probably felt a little going through all that stuff. And uh, I mean, we have a, we actually have a term for that. It's called the battered career syndrome. Um, and, and that's, that's real. <laughs> oh, it sure is. might be a branded term with us and everything. And, but um, it's, it's experienced more often than not. And uh, it's really interesting to see how people are able to go out there and um, look at those new possibilities and, and, and find some, some options out there that they probably wouldn't have considered. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you were fortunate enough in your position financially to say, if I were to lose my job this year, I could retire and be okay. Then what we're talking about right now probably is, you know, maybe not of interest to you, but perhaps a friend of yours, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're not in that position, you're saying to yourself, hey, look, if something happened tomorrow, we'd be in trouble six months or a year down the road. Um, statistically speaking, um, for every $10,000 you earn, that equates to one month on the job market. So for example, you were earning $160,000 a year. Statistically speaking, it takes 16 months to find a job that can replace that income. Really? Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Did many, many studies have proven that. Now that's not to say that sometimes people don't get lucky because they do, you know, but in the aggregate, that's about what it takes. Um, so, you know, could you see yourself surviving those 16 months if that's what it took? And if the answer is yes, by all means, take your yeah. time. Um, but if not, discovery becomes really important and asking mm -hmm. yourself, what are my options? And I'll tell you, those include, um, we talked about this last week. Um, studies are showing now that the percentage of freelance workers is actually going to exceed the percentage of full-time employees over the next 10 years. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. I think, I think the uh, pandemic probably kickstarted that a little bit too. Um, kind of proven the concept that people can work remotely mm -hmm. fairly easily and effectively. So, you know, there are, um, as I was going through my investigation four years ago and since, um, I did find some excellent freelance resource sites, places where, you know, someone who is 50 and up experienced in their career has some expertise, whatever it may be, marketing, programming, in my case, sales and strategy and stuff like that. Um, there are companies, big companies that search sites like Upwork mm -hmm. um, and guru.com for people with experience, they don't want to hire you full-time, but you can garner a pretty significant hourly wage through these sites. Yeah. And, you know, the insanity is, let's say you're displaced now, or let's say you're displaced tomorrow. If you just hit the job boards every day and you're not getting results, continuing to hit the job boards tomorrow and the next day and the next day is going to be demoralizing if you yeah. continue not to get results. So start There's a definition for that. Lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and um, my wife and I are working on a project for her. She is uh, a trained MC, a trained television host. She had uh, TV shows in China, right? Mm -hmm. And she loves teaching kids. So there are sites like, um, uh, uh, oh, what is it called? 
um, Fiverr.com, where mm -hmm. freelance people can go on and they can record commercials for people or do audiobook narrations or, you know, create logos or whatever it might be. Starting to investigate all of these different freelance sites that are out there that help people find you, you may be able to replace a big portion of your salary just working part time. And I think investigating that, exploring business uh, entrepreneurship as a possible option, just going through discovery and learning what's there, mm -hmm. there are possibilities beyond the job market. And with it not being as welcoming as we'd like it to be, ages 50 and up, it's a prime time to consider. It really is. And, and there, there's a lot of advantages to, to starting a business when you're older. Um, I started, started my business in my early 30s. And, and so I had to learn and experience things for the very first time uh, coming into that, especially coming out of, out of the military. But um, when, you're, when you're a little bit older and you're in your 50s or 60s, I mean, you have a lot more experience behind that that you could bring to the table into a business, almost any business. Um, and, and you have a better perspective, maybe mm -hmm. a, lot, a little bit of empathy that I might not have had uh, starting out. Um, and of course, that perspective, you know, perspective is, you know, I said that twice because it's, you know, it's really important. You probably have been through the ups and downs of your workplace and seen those businesses and how they've thrived and how they didn't. And you can come with that, with that knowledge and bring that to the table to your own business. Um you know, financing is always a thing. Um, you know, you don't want to start, you probably don't want to bootstrap a business that you're starting when you're in the fifties, you're in, in your fifties, you want to be able to get it going soon and, and quickly. And generally that means some cash injection going into it. Uh, but generally when you're older, your credit's better. Uh, you might have that 401k that you can leverage in a ROBS or something like that. Um, the credit can help with term loans or business cards, business credit cards, things like that. Um, you don't have to, you know, completely put your financial situation upside down to start the business, but you have some options. Mm -hmm. um, your network's bigger. You know, imagine how much bigger uh, your network was compared to mine um, coming in. Um, and, and I think, you know, not only are you better equipped to deal with failure um, because you probably experienced it once or twice, uh, I would imagine, but also... Um, you're probably going to come into it with a little bit more gusto because, you know, starting a business at that age, is like you either got to commit or not. It's now or never kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually just read off a list on that. Um, it was from the a study uh, conducted by the Kaufman Foundation on uh, individuals between the ages of 55 and 64 starting entrepreneurship. Um, and it just, uh, it says that this number Entrepreneurship grew from 14 to 23% in the early 2000s. And they said it's going to be even bigger uh, through the 2020s. Wow. Yeah, that says a lot. So, you know, circling back to our main point of having this conversation, um, and we know this uh, to, to all of you listening, we know this because our daily role is to talk with people who are in career tra transition. And in many cases, they're in, their, they're in this age bracket we're talking about, and they're sharing with us the exact same things we're talking about, right? So this is not just anecdotal. This is what we do for a living. Um, and one of the first things, and, and this is actually, I'm going to steal a Jasonism, um, but 
one of the first things we encourage people to do, and, and we actually have a proprietary version of this, um, is a SWOT analysis for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because what happens is so frequently I talk to people, my client, you know, I talked to um, just the end of last week was saying like, okay, I've found a few things on the mar- job market. I'm not excited about any of them. I'm pigeonholed into this particular area in my career. I want to do different things, but nobody talks to me outside of my competencies. And I don't want to do that again. It, the hours are punitive and all kinds of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but until you sit down and you weigh out your dangers, you turn a light and shine a light on those concerns that keep you up at night or wake you up in the morning, whether it's wealth building or job market unsecure, uh, uncertainties, age factors, until you identify them, doesn't mean you can do anything about them, but you know, calling them out, giving them a name empowers you to understand this is what I'm looking to mitigate, right? Yeah. Thinking about your strengths and your opportunities, what are you good at? What energizes you? And really laying out a, a five-year vision to say, if life were perfect, here's where I'd be five years from now, that becomes the start point for discovery. And you can use that to weigh against everything you learn about to say, can it accomplish this for me or not? Absolutely. It's that, that personal professional SWOT assessment. Like how often do you do, you know, my, my, uh, my MBA focus was on project management. How often do you do a SWOT analysis for, for your company or for, for somebody else's goals and projects and things like that? And I bet you, and I challenge you to do it. And, Cause I bet you, when you start going through that SWOT analysis for yourself, you're going to surprise yourself and what you find out about, about you. Yeah. We, we don't often verbalize it or even put it on paper, you know, what our, what our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats are. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a simple little acronym to go off of, but um, it can, it can have some pretty powerful results. Yeah. And, you know, in my experience, Jason, it sometimes feels a little bit weird and hokey to people to do this. Oh, Number yeah. one, because we're not prone always to look inwardly, Right. Um, we can do a SWOT analysis for a company or someone else, but when it's about us, it's sometimes difficult to look inward like that and be oh, yeah. so, you know. Well, uh, people want to be, they want to, it, there, there are different types of people. There are the people that are, um, you know, they, they really want to focus on others and it's really hard to do that. They want to be able to do good in their, in their network and their communities and things like that. So it shouldn't be about me. It's like, well, it's got to start somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is, so, it always takes an element of coaching to get people to number one, complete the SWAT. And then number two, to fill in the blanks on perhaps some of the things that, you know, need to be elaborated on. And then it sort of disappears for a while, but then as people start discovery and that in, can include job market, freelance, you know, entrepreneurship opportunities, it becomes very important when you get closer to reaching clarity on what you want to do. And invariably, everyone I work with ends up coming back to that very same form. And we end up saying, does this accomplish? Does this mitigate the risks you identified? Does it leverage the strengths you identified? Does it create new opportunities for you? Does it paint a picture that five years from now you'd be happy with? If you answer yes to all those things, 
guess what? Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and, and that's not, it's also important. Uh, it's very important to have that baseline too, because that shiny object syndrome is real because <laughs> you can get mesmerized by, by those really cool flashy opportunities out there. But if they're not necessarily in alignment with your goals, you may, especially if you're, you've got a personality or a, a disc, we did disc a while. If you have a disc uh, profile like mine, it's super easy to get, get distracted, you know, by all that stuff. Uh, so if you have somebody with you that is in alignment with your goals, they know what your goals are and help you, you know, help you remind you of that stuff, or even have that piece of paper with you just to kind of go over it and do that analysis. It's, uh, it's super important. It keeps you, keeps you going on the right path. Yeah. So, you know, coming all the way back around to your question about what does somebody do? Number one, if they're having those concerns or number two, um, if they should be having those concerns and aren't yet, um, start with the SWOT analysis, really sit down and think about dangers and risks and things that you work to mitigate and strengths and opportunities and ask yourself that meaningful question about what life would need to look like five years from now for you to be happy with your progress. And then go out and just do some research. Look at, you know, certainly we'd be honored if you look at the entrepreneur source, reach out to Jason and I. Take a look at some of the fractional employment sites. See what that world looks like. Think about the skill sets you have and how you could potentially utilize them. Um, and if you start expanding beyond the job boards, a couple things happen. Number one, you might find yourself in something you never expected to do. But number two, you're in a position of strength if you do get that job market call because you have other options. Yeah. And, and it's funny, more often than not, people do find themselves into something different because I, I work with a lot of guys that, that get out and they want to do that consulting role. But what they find is, you know, it can be very resource intensive. They don't have a lot of structure or support and they're recreating the wheel. And then it slings them right back into the situations that they're in before just being an outsider, maybe making a little bit less money. They do have, you know, some of the benefits of an entrepreneur, but it's not exciting them anymore. It's not juicing them up anymore. And so they end up doing something like completely, completely different. It's, it's, it's a weird psychological thing that we just experience all the time. <laughs> yeah, we sure do. So, yeah, you know, I hope that this session, if nothing else, if you're in that range of people we've been discussing, I hope it just makes you think. I hope you ask yourself a question, am I prepared for this? Should it happen? Because the reality is, I would say 100% of the people I talk to that have it happen to them where they get furloughed, laid off or whatever, 100% of them say, I never thought this would happen to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it's, so be surprised. Don't be surprised. Be prepared. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And hopefully we gave you some things to think about, some steps to take, some additional options to put on the table. Jason and I are always available if you just want to chat and let us know what's going on with you. Maybe we have some resources you hadn't thought of. Um, but at the end of the day, be prepared. Be prepared. All right, man. Well, hey, these are great conversations. I'm glad we're back. Um, I hope everybody gets something a little bit out of this. And if you do, please share it and spread the love a little bit. Uh, with that, I bid you all adieu. Until next week. Peace out. Peace.